Warning, if you flunked world history, this review contains spoilers. Three Hundred is Zack Snyder's cinematic adaptation of Frank Miller's 1998 comic book adaptation of Rudolf Maté's 1962 cinematic adaptation of Herodotus's 5th century BC written adaptation of various oral accounts of the Battle of Thermopylae. By the time you get a script to a committee like that, you know it's going to have something for everyone. For history buffs, there's the thrill of comparing the events of the movie with what we actually know about the events that unfolded on the shores of the Gulf of Malice in 480 BC. For lovers of epic battle scenes, well, most of this movie is going to be right up your alley. Mutants, hunchbacks, trolls, and disfigured belly dancers will find role models aplenty. If you're into piercing and over-the-top bling-bling, you'll thrill to a golden-crusted Xerxes. Ladies, there's lots of Spartan beefcake here for your viewing pleasure. Whole armies of flexing pecs and ripped six-pack abs. There's lots of sword-swinging, blood-spurting mayhem here for you meat-eating manly men. Neocons will get a rush from the movie's pro-war subtext, delivered with all the subtlety of a Spartan spear thrust. And it's a movie anti-war liberals will love to hate. Kids will love watching what it was like for Spartan youngsters who got sent off to camp in their undies for six or seven years. It's a gore-splattered, heavy-metal, Iron Age battle epic for the whole family. Here's the background. In 480 BC, a vast military force under command of the Persian Emperor Xerxes I descended on Greece, which at that time was not a nation, but rather a collection of independent city-states. Faced with overwhelming odds, the Greeks formed a confederation to stand against Xerxes. After initial engagement, King Leonidas of Sparta sent much of the Greek army back to make further preparations. Leonidas remained behind with a small band of Spartans and Thespians, more than 300, but certainly a minuscule force compared with the enemy they faced. They made one of history's most celebrated last stands at the narrow pass of Thermopylae, where Xerxes' numerical advantage was largely neutralized. Wave after wave of Persian warriors broke against the Spartan phalanx before Leonidas and his party were encircled and eventually slaughtered, probably as the result of an act of treachery. The battle gave the Greek alliance time to prepare for the pivotal naval battle of Salamis, which forced Xerxes to retreat to Asia. At the Battle of Plataea the following year, the Greeks were again victorious. Xerxes' dreams of expanding his Persian empire into Europe were dashed permanently, and many historians credit these events as sowing the seeds of Hellenic identity. Of course, this film isn't really interested in history. Unless it's modern history. As I mentioned a moment ago, 300 seems to cater to the neocon sensibility. Leonidas, played with likable solidity by Gerard Butler, goes to war against the Asian hordes without political support, and while he and his men fight and die at Thermopylae, his wife just can't convince the corrupt and irresolute Senate to fund a troop surge. His closest allies, the Acadians, a Brit by any other name, bail when the going gets tough. Leonidas does a lot of talking about standing against the Persian hordes to fight for a dawning age of freedom, 
which is all pretty stirring until you remember that freedom for women, peasants, and slaves hadn't been discovered yet, and that the empires of Alexander, Rome, Byzantium, the Ottomans, and Nazi Germany would be delaying the dawn of lasting freedom in Greece for just a little bit. But honestly, the whole George Bush as King Leonidas comparison just doesn't work for me. True, Leonidas does lead a nation of plain-spoken, decent white people against a horde of swarthy, bomb-throwing barbarians. The enemy wear turbans, they cavort with monsters, they have all sorts of funky, un-American ways, and their King Xerxes is just so gay. But while Bush bravely stayed behind in Washington to deal with the awful political ramifications of his war with the Middle East, Leonidas slinks off to battle at the head of his army and leaves his woman behind to deal with the mess in the council. After the first day of battle, when he's already killed almost one-tenth of one percent of the enemy force, Leonidas fails to declare mission accomplished. And he doesn't have a flight suit, either. Bush wouldn't be caught dead in one of those pansy-ass leather thongs. Worst of all, Leonidas waits until the enemy actually threatens to attack his country before he takes up arms, instead of preemptively pouncing on them where they live, before they can even think of it. Let's face it, compared to Bush, Leonidas is a pussy. Even so, I had fun with this movie. Like Rodriguez's adaptation of Sin City, 300 takes pains to recreate the visual style and atmosphere of Miller's graphic novel, and the movie is as you would expect, quite beautiful to look at. All the characters are gorgeous and scantily dressed, or hideously deformed and scantily dressed. I'm particularly fond of Leonidas's wife, standing on the veranda of their Spartan home in a simple linen dress that cleaves her cleavage all the way down to her pelvis. But there's also a lot to be said for a sweaty 500-pound ogre in a greasy loincloth with crude machetes grafted onto his arm stumps. Gnarly. Shot largely in blue screen, the film sports landscapes that range from pastoral to cruel, with a grainy texture heavy with charcoal overtones that I found appealing. Of course, the battle scenes are the big draw here, and they are certainly exciting, even if they lack the stirring quality of a clash film by Peter Jackson or Akira Kurosawa. I'm not sure I've ever seen a better cinematic portrayal of the hoplite phalanx in action. Snyder has a lot of fun alternately speeding up and slowing down the combat for maximum flesh-rending, blood-spattering effect. 300 has to set the record for the most slow-motion decapitations in one movie. Watching the Spartans whirl and leap and slash and stab with a beauty and efficiency that has certainly never graced a real battlefield, I kept thinking of the climactic scene at the House of the Blue Leaves in Kill Bill 1. A dance of death horribly graphic, beautifully choreographed, and more than a bit silly. Like the popcorn and the soda pop, it's a guilty pleasure because, like popcorn and soda pop, there's no real nourishment here. Ultimately, the movie fails to connect at any emotional level. The Spartans are certainly sympathetic enough, but we fail to cast our lot with theirs, heavy-handed allusions to our misadventure in Iraq notwithstanding. The actors do their best to deliver their wooden dialogue with conviction, but only Dominic West, as the sleazy anti-war politician Theron, manages to pull it off. What we're left with is a two-hour video game with intense graphics, questionable historical accuracy, and almost no humanity. 
300 is fun and even thrilling in parts, but it's not moving even when it should be. So enjoy the guilty pleasure. But when you walk out of the theater, don't be surprised that you haven't come away with much more than a ticket stub and a few hundred empty calories. This is Jonathan Sullivan for Escape Podcast.